Daddy's Beard, the Gay Dad Podcast with Alex Megan and Young Daniel. So the Earth's been moving. Yes. Yeah. We've had some uh, earthquake uh, <clears throat> stuff here in Los Angeles. Two of them. The liberals are being punished by God. That's what I'm sure people will be saying. Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast. He's Alex. I am. And he's Jan. Hi, him. Hi, him. <laughs> so uh, what do you guys do when there's an earthquake? I mean, I think that the, the most important thing is to not really show panic yourself. So you mean to the children? Yeah. yeah I read some, you know, thousand psychology books recommend to approach this with a calm mind. So yes. you have to calm yourself before you talk to the kids. But I think that we did a relatively good job. On this one, I think we did fine. Of course, these were both very minor uh, earthquakes. But we, In here, uh, I heard that... You I know, mean, right. where we live. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, we had just put them to bed. They were in the bed doing whatever crazy crap they do for, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. And then we saw that the planets that we hung from the ceiling were swinging back and forth. And we went into the bedroom and we said, hey, kids, let's go outside. And we picked them up and took them out on the front porch and we sat, sat and waited for the earth to stop shaking. And we actually explained to them what's an earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was all right. That was the second time. The first time we were in the movie. <laughs> right, we tried to see Toy Story 4. We saw, we thought it was our first time trying we, to we go all the We saw Toy Story Right, for, we saw the first, yeah, 20 minutes maybe. Yeah. Uh, looked good, actually. I was yeah. excited for it. But then we left. Uh, and uh, hopefully this will be the last time that we uh, speak on the podcast about earthquakes, because it sucks. Anyway, Alex has made like a survival kit. Well, not quite a survival kit. Look, I mean, we have two cars and I went and loaded up my bigger car with some stuff. Like there's a very large bottle of water and uh, some blankets and uh, critical music collection because, you, you know... And yeah. if, the, if the earth's shaking, you need to have disco and stuff like that. So hopefully uh, we're as prepared as we reasonably can be, but it is a little scary. And I, I want to say this. You, you know what? This is the first time over the last two days that I have realized the weight of having family, by which I mean, like, you know, my friend sent me a text and she said, you know, why don't you guys leave town for a while? And I realized... Well, because there are five of us, if you include our dog, and it's a major undertaking. And so the next time that I scoff at people who stayed in their home in some area where, you know, there were hurricanes or something like that, I might rethink it a little bit and realize, you know, moving, leaving your home is a really, really big deal. And so, yeah. It also raises the questions on how do you talk to your kids about stuff like that? I mean, stuff that it's kind of beyond their understanding, like earthquake and death. I mean, right? at the age of f almost four, I'm going to say you don't. That's my opinion. I mean, I think you, you explain it to. to them really nicely. I mean, it's you explain it to them in a childlike way, yeah. but I think it's important for them to at least get the sense of why we're doing it because there are all both times they're like, why are we living the movie? 
True. Why are we going outside after bed o'clock? That's true. Well, you know, yeah, we explained it at the level that we can. That is clear. Today we're talking about adoption and we wanted to make a discussion. Um, yeah, we brought on some... An opening discussion. We brought on a really nice combination of people. Three adoptive parents, one of whom has the, you know, the really interesting and, and difficult experiences around adoption, and two others who are professionals in the space. Yeah. And I think one we've is learned a, a lot. One was a social service person. That's right. And the other one is from North American Council on Adoptive Children. Um, and she's responsible for the LGBT uh, families and before and after the adoption. Right. It's really right. interesting. She has an interesting um, position there. This was a great interview. It went really long it's because the, there was so much good stuff there. And it's the first time we actually interviewed three people. Oh, that's again. right. That's yeah, right. She was on the phone. Tara was on the phone, but uh, the other two in the studio with us. And one thing that uh, Ufe, the, the, we're going to introduce them properly you at know, the beginning the of interview. the interview. Yeah. yeah. But one of the things that uh, Ufe told me when before we started the recording was that every adoption story is different. There's no one way where you can adopt. I mean, there's a route that you can go through, but every story is different. Right. And I think it's kind of summarized the whole thing and to go into, with that to this interview, I think it's really important with that mindset because the people are different. The people that you're, de you're dealing with are different and sure. this, their stories are different. Therefore, your adoption story is different. Look, I think that every single um, way that we have children is, um, is so emotionally charged in the case of IVF, the way you're, you know, you're, you're mixing, uh, your bloodline with somebody else's who you probably don't know. And then you have a surrogate who is some woman who you're paying to carry who will, what will be your child. And in the case of adoption, you're dealing with a woman or parents who have decided that they cannot, or the state has decided that they cannot, uh, raise their own child. I mean, there's so much emotion charged in all of this so it's always going to be uh, a challenging and uh, powerful experience yeah so let's hear from our sponsor and then straight to the interview and i hope you guys enjoy it by the way this is a, a shorter version of the interview that we introduce in the podcast but if you want to hear the full 53 minutes long discussion go on the website to daddysqr.com are you ready to become a dad surrogacy is a wonderful way to grow your family Circle Surrogacy was founded by a gay dad through surrogacy and has been helping gay singles and couples become parents for over 20 years. Because surrogacy is an emotional and financial investment, finding the right agency to partner with you and support you on your journey is very important. Circle Surrogacy believes that everyone should have the opportunity to be a parent. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com. Circle. Thank you, Ben. Good morning. Uh, we have three people with us today. Nitara Frost on the line with us from Minnesota, right? Yes, from Minnesota. And you are the parent support specialist for LGBTQ parents at the North American Council on Adoptive Children. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I just. Are you also an I adoptive. Just want to credit my husband for getting through that entire thing. It was very good. Very long. I know. Good. <laughs> You're also an adoptive mom of five. Yes. I, my wife and I adopted five children from foster care. We were foster parents first, and then now we are adoptive parents to five children. 
Wow. How old are they? Our oldest is 14 and our youngest just turned nine. It's not even that much of a spread. We were a five under five family for a while. That was a lot. You're so yeah. brave. Yeah, really. A round of applause. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we also have Ufe de la Torre. Yeah? Correct, yeah. He's a former social worker in the child welfare and currently a therapist. That's right. You also adopted. Yes, uh, my husband and I adopted two children for, at birth. We went the private adoption route because uh, our oldest is now 18 in his first year of college and our second is in high school. So when we started the process, even though I was in child welfare, at that time, the Department of Children and Family Services was starting to get the ball rolling on understanding gay families. And so we were at the very front end of it. And we waited like for a year to be matched. So then that's we went to a, a private ad- adoption route and it Got happened it. really quickly. Great. And we have also Ethan with us. Alex and I are less experienced in the, the whole adoption parenting side of it. So we brought somebody to tell his story and be on the parent side with us. Uh, Ethan Cohen is an adoptive father of two and a partner at the Century City Entertainment Law Firm, Dell Shaw & Moonves. That's correct. Good morning. Good morning. How old are your kids? Uh, our oldest is six. He just turned six. And our youngest is going to be three months in about two weeks. So he's 10 weeks on Monday. And he's <laughs> and you're here and you look well-pressed and awake. <laughs> and I didn't sleep a lot, but I okay. am here. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Did you have them the same way, like private adoption? Both Actually, no, different. Uh, okay. Our oldest we did through foster adoption. And our youngest, we did through private adoption. So we've experienced both routes. Is this time for us to start out just by defining those two things? uh, Yes, let's just define the ways of adoption that we have. So, Nitara, why don't you explain to us what kind of uh, adoptions uh, gay parents can go through? So one of the, you know, typical ways that you end up seeing on movies and things is the private adoption route where you go through an agency, they work with you and get a home study, and then they have things like lookbooks where um, a, a birth parent is actually picking out a family that they're interested in. And sometimes that the birth pam- families don't necessarily pick it out depending on the different agencies. Um, the other, uh, other routes are adoption from foster care. Um, that's when the parents go and do some training through the state and become foster parents. And sometimes you end up Um, fostering the kids and the kids go back to the biological parents or go to an adoptive home or go to relatives. And sometimes then it ends up being an adoption from the foster parents actually adopt. Uh, Some states have what's called foster to adopt or um, concurrent planning foster homes. And those homes are homes that are not strictly foster homes. So they would like to adopt if the children become available to adopt. So that's kind of a, the foster care side of it. Then there's also adoption from uh, the state where kids are actually um, in foster homes waiting to be adopted. They're a ward of the state. The birth parents no longer have um, rights. So you can adopt from the state but without technically doing foster care. I mean, I guess there's always that three-month time that you have to. There's a 90-day period typically in most states where um, the children are with you and technically it's foster care. However, at that time, they're kind of getting the ball rolling on the adoption and getting that process going. Um, And that's with older kids typically, but it can also be with some younger or sibling groups. And then there is international adoption. Obviously, adoption from overseas and uh, um, internationally, 
which has changed a lot in the past few years. Um, actually, in like the past 10 years, it's changed a lot. Yeah, so those are the... What's the difference between uh, adoption with a private attorney and an agency? A private attorney, when, if you're specifying when potentially families, this actually happens, uh, maybe like a, a, te- a teen mom, an example would be like a teen mom, Um, and a family is looking to find a family themselves for the baby potentially, and they know the family or there's potentially a relative, and then they sometimes hire a private attorney to go ahead and do the adoption process and fill out and do the home study and everything instead of going through an actual agency that the birth parent has gone to to help find a family. Yeah, you know, I was actually wondering, I, I'm sure that the The, the numbers are very small on this but there there must be adoptions that go on even within extended families or uh, between close friends uh, yeah. that does that does There's happen are especially with the days of right now and social media and Facebook and all of that um, a lot of people are putting um, I get some that pop up randomly sometimes on my feed that you know looking for a family hoping to adopt things like that and And there are some times where people will reach out and that becomes a connection and then they go that private attorney route. I do not know, um, I have not had any of my families that I work with do that as of yet. So I don't know the complete logistics on all of that, but I know that instead of going through an agency, everything is done through the attorneys. Okay, so Ethan, you had like two ways of adoption out of what yes. she uh, mentioned. So can you tell us a little bit about your story? There's also like a fraudulent adoption yeah. in between. So please tell us the whole thing. Yeah, I'll, I'll try yeah. to give you somewhat of yeah. the shorter version because it, it can be a long story. But so <clears throat> with our first son, you know, when I first decided I wanted, well, I always knew I wanted to have kids. As I was getting older, I was single um, and I, I wanted to move forward. I didn't want to wait. And foster adoption was really important. The most welcoming to anybody they did they were very open and clear that it didn't matter whether you were single or married gay or straight black brown white thin or fat if you could provide for a great family then they were open to you you know coming in taking the classes and if you could be certified then then you were eligible to either be a foster parent or do exactly what Natara said be a foster adoptive parent which is essentially concurrent planning so I did that and I I was relatively clear that I wanted the lowest risk possible, which, as Ufe knows, is kind of a misnomer because there is never a low risk because in California, at least, the goal is always to reunify. And, and in the training, you know, when you first hear that, it, it's very contrary to what you want. You're there to adopt. They are bringing you in in this concurrent planning to adopt. But they tell you you have to be open to the child going back to the parents. So it, it's, a, it's a very difficult situation to be in. And, and you tell yourself, okay, I'm open to that. Um, but we, you know, after I did the training, literally uh, they said, when, when are you open to a child? And I came up with a date based on kind of work and, and whatnot. And that was irrelevant. They called me the next day and <laughs> oh. said, hey, we have, you know, this child. And they started running down the scenarios in the first group. Of them I had said no to because it just seemed like the child was going to reunify quickly despite wow. them saying that he or she wouldn't it just didn't seem like a huge issue um, with the son who we have they said here's the situation um, 
he we don't see him being reunified. He has five other siblings that are we're trying to adopt. Um, we're going to do it as a quote unquote fast track. There's going to be no reunification services. And are you interested? I said, yes. And they said, okay, we'll see you in four hours. So I literally left work with a list that a friend of mine who has two kids made for me went straight to babies R us like (laughs) on an episode of supermarket sweep, (laughs) never looked up, just putting everything in the cart because you don't know whether you're getting a boy or a girl, you know, as you go through the process, what the age will be. So you can't, really prepare for the exact needs. Right. So you, you, you're not going to pre-buy clothes in every single size right. and all that. So literally I'm running through the store, get everything, get home. And Ufe was the, the matcher at the time. So he showed up before the social worker. What do you mean by the matcher? Can you just explain that to I us? I carry a wand and <laughs> yeah. I match people. It's we very all magical. carry a wand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a matcher is basically what, uh, what Ethan described is, uh, once the family gets certified, the matcher uh, meets with the family. We review all their needs, all the, you know, what they're open to, their risk levels. And um, then we wait for those phone calls that come in. And then we, we look at our families that we have available and we make the call. And so say, that means you were the one who called him. I did. To yes. say we'll be I over did. for, oh, yes, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. okay. Absolutely. Oh, so please continue. Yeah. And so, you know, our son came home um, and basically at the first court date, everything changed. And they said, oh, we actually are gonna do reunification, but we, we think the judge is gonna do it because she really wants to dot her I's and cross her T's and make sure that the uh, grounds for appeal are minimized. And so she doesn't want to offer nothing and then you know have, a, have room for appeal. So it was frustrating, but understandable. That judge, um, was then left that courtroom. A new judge came in. The new judge made it very clear. I'm very pro-parent. I don't think children should go to adoptive homes or foster homes. I think we should do whatever we can to return them to the biological parent. End of story. The social worker from the county said, this is going to be a rough ride and it's going to be a lot different than what we said. Um, and she definitely wants to return him to the birth parent. And she's also trying to return the other four kids where services had already been terminated to the birth parent. She was trying to reverse everything that the other judge had done. So as we continued to go through court, she then gave uh, visitation rights. And then she then started to give overnight visitation rights. And so the social worker said, this is, you know, probably, he's probably going to wind up being reunified. But really, and it's hard to describe, the minute he comes or she comes into your home, it's your child. And if you want to adopt, the, the bond is instantaneous. And so the thought of reunification is beyond comprehension. And so I worked with the agency that, you know, I did it through a private agency or a public agency, not directly through the county. Mm-hmm. And to try to say, what can we do to avoid this? And their position was, nothing, you should stay out of the process. Um, you just have to let the process go, you know, as it's supposed to. And that was not something that I could really accept. And so I spoke to the, the child gets appointed an attorney, which is called minors counsel. The county also has an attorney um, who represents them. And then you have the county social worker, in addition to the social worker from the agency. The who, who's representing the uh, birth mother at that point? She actually, in this case, had her own private attorney. 
So otherwise, yet another they can, party. They can have somebody appointed. She had a private attorney. Wow. The county social worker uh, was very, very um, was a great ally. And I think the biggest advice I have is that is a person who really can determine your fate. And she and I got along very well. She really did not want any of the kids going back. She she had been working on the case since the first of the other four children and thought that for a multitude of reasons, the conditions did not warrant reunification. So she supported me being active in the process to help him be adopted, and which was great. And so what happened was what seemed like a terrible thing, the, uh, the visits where he could go with the birth mother, he didn't want to go, even at a few months old. He would scream. He would wow. hold on to my shirt to the point that literally ripped the buttons off. She could not get him. She couldn't even hold him. He would never stop crying. He would come back, and he was sick. He would throw up. Um, and it was very evident that there was a problem, and it was more than just me wanting him to stay with me. And so as I said that to the social worker, she started to come and watch that. And she saw it and said, I, you know, I've rarely seen anything like this. She then did interviews, and the birth mother said, I didn't want him, um, but I'm not willing to not fight under principle, but I didn't want him. And so she continued to document that to the court. The court continued on its path, completely disregarding what was going on, but it got so bad, and then there was doctors that got involved, and there was a child psychologist that got involved, and the Department of Mental Health for the county got involved, and they went and they did a visit when he was with the birth mother. And then they did a visit unannounced when he was with us. And they said, I, if I didn't know, I wouldn't think it was the same child. When he was at the birth mother's house, he was just sitting in the corner crying. And when he's here, he's happy and there's a personality and there's a little child. And so they then supported not having the uh, unmonitored visits. And then it actually, the judge scaled it back again to monitor, which was the beginning of everything shifting in our right. favor. And then, you know, fast forward, you have everything works in six month chunks. And so, you know, they give, you know, uh, reunification services for six months at a time. And it's kind of like, and I said, it's analogous to somebody who's terminally ill because you're living your life in these six month chunks right. and you literally don't know at the next court date, will our son go back to the mom or will we be allowed, you know, to adopt him and move forward with that path. But at each six months, they kept giving her another chance, but she never improved. He never created any bond whatsoever for her. The psychologist said there literally is no bond whatsoever. And they still tried to see if they could fix it because it's what the state requires and never was there any connection. And eventually the judge, based on all of the documentation of the psychologists and the social workers and the doctors saying, there is nothing to support that this child should be anywhere other than with us. She agreed to terminate reunification services. Wow. And then eventually terminate parental rights. And then eventually we could adopt. But the birth mother appealed every single step of the way. Mm -hmm. And so it took four years to finalize the adoption. Wow. And we were told at the beginning, it should be done in six months. Yeah. yeah. Well, surprise, huh? And then you had the fraudulent one. So I, I can't believe that after that you went for another one. So, so then we, want, we always wanted to have two kids. Um, we wanted our son to be a part of the process. Um, and 
he really wanted another brother or sister, but we were, and in, in talking to Ufe as well um, about another, we were reluctant to do foster adoption, although we really believe in it um, because we think it's an amazing way to help a child have a life that they otherwise couldn't have. But the risk, uh, well, uh, I, I always say that the experience we had was the worst experience of our life with the greatest result. Um, and to go through that again, if it's just us, as bad as it is, we're two adults and, and we can deal with it. But there was no way our son was ever gonna understand if the, his brother or sister were unified. So we decided to go down the route of private adoption. And we thought, oh, this will be super easy. Well, it isn't super easy. Um, <laughs> after about eight months of, you know, our profile was out there. We were doing it through an attorney, not an agency. We actually got a call um, from the company that did our home study and said, hey, there's another attorney that called us with a situation. That's what they call it. Um, and we think it would be great for you. Do you want to talk to him? And we did not know this attorney. Um, and we went in and he said, hey, I have this birth mother and we want to match you guys via video, which is different than what we had been doing. Normally we have a profile, our attorney would send it to prospective birth mothers and they would make a decision. Um, so we did a video chat with this woman and right on the spot, this attorney said, okay, you have to make a decision. And we were kind of thrown off and it felt a little bit pressured, but we had been waiting for eight, eight plus months. And so we said, okay, let's do, let's do it. Um, Long story short, she didn't even have, a ch she wasn't even pregnant. At oh, some point God. she was pregnant um, because there was medical records, except they stopped at a certain point. And we kept saying to the attorney, where's the rest of the records, what's going on? And she kept asking us for more money, for more problems, for more things. And you're so emotionally invested that you're, you're going to Western Union and you're, you're wiring $1,000, $1,500 and the attorney it turns out really had never vetted her. And I won't say who he is, but anybody's welcome to ask me privately. Um, he never really vetted her. And had he vetted her, he would have known that there's an issue when you don't have medical records after a certain date. And basically she kept trying to string us along. The, the birth date came, no baby. She then came up with another story. Then she called to say she was arrested and going to jail and we had to quickly get her money so she didn't have the baby in jail. And that just went on and on. And, and then we said, we don't believe anything you're saying, give us proof of the pregnancy. And then she went silent and there was never any baby born. And probably what happened is she either switched doctors and was doing this maybe with another family, maybe kept the baby. Maybe she had a, a late term miscarriage or something and, and saw this as a way to get money. But whatever mm -hmm. it was, there was no baby for us to adopt. And we had you know, paid a lot of money that we never got back. And the attorney said, I'm not giving you any of the money back. Um, wow. And so it was a terrible situation. But then we went back to our phenomenal other attorney um, and eventually we matched in a um, kind of amazing story. He called us um, on a Monday morning and he said, Check, please call me at the office ASAP. I have a situation, but it's very timely. <laughs> Situations. <Yeah. laughs> and yeah. we, had, we had probably submitted to about a dozen, and we had probably said no to about another dozen for various mm -hmm. reasons. He said, a woman just called me, and she is uh, in labor. She has had no prenatal care. She doesn't know if it's a boy or a girl. She lives in Las Vegas. I did the adoption for a friend of hers. Um, there are some other issues 
you know, health issues, potential health issues and things like that, potential drug use, things you should know about. Are you, uh, and the mom is half Hawaiian and half white and the dad is half black and half Hispanic. However, she only wants a single or a same sex couple. Are you interested? Yes. We, we had done a lot of research. We kind of know what health uh, things are better or worse between smoking and drinking and cocaine and methamphetamines because it's surprising some things aren't as bad as you would think. So we said yes. We got on the phone with her 10 minutes later. She was having contractions <laughs> on the phone. We had a great conversation. There's your, there's your evidence <laughs> yeah. that she was yeah, pregnant. Really. Yes. <laughs> um, and we had a great conversation. We sent her our profile. 25 minutes later, our attorney texted us and said, congratulations, she selected you. Wow. Call her. We called her, we got her voicemail. And, Not surprisingly. And he said, well, she's probably on her way to the hospital. Literally two hours later, so about two hours and 25 minutes after we first spoke to her, we got a text, congratulations, you have a son. Mm-hmm. And we, she was in Las Vegas. We literally both left work. We got in the car, we drove to Las Vegas, and we were at the hospital at seven in the morning. And we met her and we met our son and oh he's healthy and she couldn't have been any nicer and, and she's terrific. Um, and so that's how that one came to be. But well, it was a long I think, road. I think so you, d- you deserved the second experience after <laughs> the middle a, experience. This is like three different stories of two adoptions. Nitara, what do you think about this? It's common. A lot of, especially the story from the foster care is very common. That takes a long time. Typically, reunifying with biological parents is every judge's main goal, and it, as it should be if it's possible. When a new judge comes in, you know, not knowing what another judge has done or just not looking at it, that sometimes gets a little dicey in there. But usually that is the best option because all adoptions have trauma with them. Any bond that's broken between a biological parent and the and the child is going to create some kind of trauma, whether it's known or unknown. Typically, teens and older kids, you're going to see more of that. But as babies grow older, you're going to see some things come out, too, when they get older. Um, but it is. It's With foster care, they try to reunify first, especially because if they don't try enough and a birth parent can say, they didn't give me a chance and now I'm clean – you know, that can come back later on when you're almost done with finalizing to start everything over again. Right. Um, but a lot of our parents that, you know, that we're going through things with, they, it takes a long time. It's, we have also had, and a lot of the families I work with, they'll be like, this one's a no brainer. Like that's what they say. They'll say this one's a guarantee and you just can't even listen to it. Like you have to just make them sound like the Charlie Brown teacher and just, you know, hope that you, you don't hear all that and take it all in, but then you can't help doing that. Cause like Ethan said, like you just are so excited about being a parent and you're holding a child yeah. with like, you just fall in love immediately. And that's all you hear. Even though you've done the training, you know that this is not your child yet. You can't help it. Is there any homophobia in the, the whole system from your experience? Yeah, I definitely think that there is and has been, and I've worked with couples who have had 
um, my, my wife and I have had encountered it and I know many other couples that we've talked to have encountered it as well. It's kind of all over, you know, <laughs> how about in the actual formalized uh, sense in the United States? We won't, we won't talk about adoption in Iran cause I'm going to assume that that's a different mm-hmm. status. Um, yeah. do, are there States and forgive my ignorance here? I should know this. Are there States in the union where there are actual laws or policies against adoption for LGBT parents? All right. So a few years ago, I worked with all states. And so I knew a little bit more exactly about the very current and up to date on that. I still know um, Florida, Texas um, can be harder with everything that just recently went I don't know where things are going now, but, uh, with, you know, with what's happening currently, <laughs> Nor do but, we all. yeah, none of us do. Right. But, um, there were states that were like flat out denying it. You had to either be a single parent adopting alone, which means even though we had just had the right to get married, you couldn't get married if you wanted to adopt kids. Wow. So that you could do a single parent adoption because you can't do a single parent adoption as a married couple. Oh, that's very um, interesting. Right. So right. that was something that some families um, would do to get around that is just not get married then. But then that's a whole nother, you know, it's a whole nother issue, obviously. Right. Um, it, I don't currently know. So the homophobia comes from the state, from the... Not from the parents. Uh, I think workers, you know, people, I think you get separate workers. I think you get judges that are homophobic. I think you get workers. I think it just kind of depends. There are agencies that are outright do not believe that or have a policy against adapting to LGBT families. Well, there, I know are, that. there are religious agencies, aren't there? Yeah, they there, do and, there, and there's some states that part of their recent changes is that they do allow agencies to discriminate. In other words, right. that they, they can make a choice as an agency whether they they will uh, work with, uh, with gay couples. So, and what, I would say as, mm-hmm. as a parent or prospective parent, whether it's foster adoption or private, you, you get a sense pretty quickly. In mm-hmm. L.A. County... They're incredibly open and, and they make it very clear. And I never ha- or we never encountered any homophobia whatsoever from the social workers, from the courts or anybody at all. And what I'd say, if you're doing private adoption, work with an agency or an attorney who focuses on, you know, gay and lesbian bisexual mm-hmm. matches, because our attorney, um, who is terrific, Really, that was one of his focuses. So he's only really matching us with birth mothers or birth parents who are open to that. Because otherwise, you're just going down this road and you're never going to match. Right. There are couples out there that wait years and then turn to organizations like one I worked for in the past. But there are um, organizations that help people find agencies that are LGBT friendly, um, adopt U.S. kids, know some of that information, raise a child, uh, has that information. And the human rights campaign actually does training with agencies and you can look on their website and find that information state by state as well. Oh, that's great. So you're saying that, uh, basically if we encounter homophobia during the process, just to reach out to those organizations. Correct. Yeah. To find, or prior to, well, actually I, I think you do it you reach out to those organizations to look for the agencies in your area that are LGBT friendly. I mean, I know that um, 
in California, it is very open. However, I worked with families out there that did encounter homophobia and said, where should I go? Because this place, they will not call us back. And, and it was more often with gay men. It was, and it was single gay men. And, you know, it's just, it's something that is a problem. And it, I believe that it's the it's the separate people, right? You have a whole organization that does a training and they're great and this organization is good, but you've got one person who maybe, you know, has a different idea and so they do things differently. Uh, a lot of other ways that we've heard it um, coming out is not being going through the whole matching process with a, a three-year-old boy, a six-year-old girl, but then the worker said, well, you're probably not the right fit to to men because um, who's going to teach her about her period and things like that. And it's like, well, you know, that's not, first of all, anyone can do that. And then You can Google it, can't you? Right. Or listening to our podcast. Right, or listen to the previous <laughs> episode. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways. And, um, you know, just that it's it was kind of a, that was the first kind of indicator for this family that like, wait a minute, something's going on. And then they started noticing little things and realizing this worker was trying really hard not to place with them. Right. So, we had seven um, social workers uh, on our first son you know, because they just keep changing and getting, right. and I can just tell you, and I'm not, you know, disagreeing that there isn't, that there's homophobia in some places, but not one of the seven had any issue with it. And I think in Los Angeles and Uve Contessas, they are so busy. And there's, I think, 37,000 kids in foster care in LA County. They want to to put them in the best family. And I I have to say, you know, we had some phenomenal ones. We had some terrible ones, not because they were homophobic, because they just just didn't seem to care. But most of them were phenomenal and they really were looking for the the best family. Look, I think one of the problems with where we do this podcast from is... A bit of a bubble. We're going to have to... Look, we're going to start doing this podcast from Tennessee starting uh, (laughs) never. Do you think that people can reach out to uh, social workers in other states? Is that even possible? No, you have to do. Sorry, no, sorry, so, I didn't mean to jump in, but you have to work within the the state that you oh. that you're living in. You can't you can't uh, do false adopt across. Um, but sometimes you could do even, private adoption. You could do private adoption, yeah. Oh. But in terms of the the, if you're looking at false adopt, it has to be within the usually the county and the the state that you're oh, living wow. in. Yeah, you can't go to like unless you're doing a private option, people can't just go out to LA and, and jump in over there. You know, right. it's a, it's a totally separate thing that right. the only time when they do something like that is when kinship is involved mm-hmm. ah. and they're looking at people who are relatives. So, right. yeah. okay. I wanted to go over some of the myths that I got from, um, gay dads that I collected, uh, throughout the, the couple of latest months. We actually went through all of them. We talked about all of them, but there's only one that we haven't touched, which is a single uh, gay man, especially single gay men are being pushed down the list of adoption and wait more time to be matched. What do you guys think about it? What I've seen is that all single adoptions typically get pushed down the list because with a lot of adoptions, they want um, one of the parents to be home while the other one is working. And with a single family, you have to work. And I think that's kind of a big thing. I don't know if that's separated out to single men or not, but I know that with a lot of the single parents in general that I work with, that can be um, a big thing. Unless they have a family member that lives with them that is helping do the child care and things like that. And that's for all ages too, because a lot of times when you're looking to adopt older kids, we talked a lot about younger today, but like with the teens and the um, elementary school kids, 
they need those those are kids that need someone there at home with them. They can't just be hanging out and and by themselves a lot. So, um, yeah, I think that's uh, across the board a single thing. I don't know if it's a single gay man thing. I don't think that that's yeah. I would agree with you on that uh, that it that it is across the board and. And a lot of it is the logistics of it, right? That um, that they're especially with the older kids, you do need, as as Antara says, you do need somebody at home that can, especially in the early stages when they're having trouble in school and talking to the teachers and taking mm-hmm. time from your schedule. So, yeah, I think it's it's just more of a single. I can. T- I mean, one myth that, or one perceived myth that's actually it's not on your list, but it's not there that we encountered is that a lot of birth mothers prefer single or married gay men because there's never going to be a replacement for the mother. Oh, and yeah. there's something in them. And, and we spoke to our attorney about this a lot. And th- there's, it's much less threatening to them because no one's ever going to call the child mom. Right. Right. And so yeah. it, whether it's one dad or two dads, they actually like that. And that's why surprisingly we saw a lot of uh, birth mothers that said, we only want a same sex male family. Yeah. How um, interesting. Interesting. So that, that actually helps. Let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, preparation. So what, uh, what, what research? I mean, uh, Ethan, you kind of touched it on the fact that you guys did some uh, drug, drug research. Well, so, but what kind of research do you have to do before deciding? Well, I think the biggest thing for us in, in the beginning is, is cost and time uh, because uh, foster adoption doesn't cost anything. And actually, the state pays you a stipend you know, if you finalize the adoption. And so if cost is a factor, you know, foster adoption is a preferred route. Timing wise, as I said in the beginning, we were, you know, we were getting calls within an hour, basically, of finalizing the training. Mm -hmm. So if you're in some place like Los Angeles, it's much quicker foster adoption. Um, In terms of research on the private adoption, one of the things we looked at, because a lot of of the birth parents have a lot of different drug um, issues, is what are the different how significant are the problems? And, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I won't give the advice, but, you know, one of the things we found out is that smoking is worse than uh, methamphetamines, for example. Um, In terms of transferring problems to the fetus. Yeah, and so I would encourage anybody to do independent research, speak to their pediatrician, um, and see what they think, because it was very different than what we just thought before we did the research. And there was things that we were open to that we may not have been, and things that we really said no to, like smoking. People, and a lot of them smoke. And our pediatrician said, you know, two packs a day, you know, the, the fetus is being deprived of oxygen and there's lots of other problems. So I think the medical research is important. And then also I think having, doing the legwork of identifying, whether it's through the HRC or through referrals through friends that have been through the process, is identifying two or three agencies and actually take the time to go on their websites and make a phone call and see what that um, how they, they relate to you on the phone and go to their training and get a sense of who's there to see what, what culture they have at the agency. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, don't be afraid to do the legwork. Don't be afraid to interview to, to really put yourself And if there. you're doing private, you know, your attorney or agency should tell you this, but definitely know or research how the states, different states that you're, you may, you know, find a birth mother in treat the adoption and whether you're gonna finalize it in your home state or that state. Mm -hmm. So ours was Las Vegas, which was relatively easy, but we were still in Las Vegas for a week after he was born before we could leave and the Mm -hmm. interstate adoption paperwork finalized. But there's some states where you have to go before a judge. Right. And the the process is much worse. And so that's an important factor that a good attorney or agency will tell you about. What kind of uh, things uh, the social service look look at when they come to- uh, To uh, certify you? 
Yeah. There's sort of the preliminary things that might rule you out is whether you have a, a, a record because you get fingerprinted. You make, make sure that you have a, a clean record, uh, that you're in good health, that um, your living situation is stable, that you have uh, enough of an income to take care of yourself, uh, that you have the space available in, in your home that can accommodate the amount of children that you're looking to, to care for. But most agencies will work with you to sort of correct some of those things that might need some some changing for you to be able to, to get there. Will they talk to uh, friends and relatives of yours as well? You need to get some referrals, yeah. Got uh, it. That they have to write in and, uh, and give their their opinion of you. Got it. Most Got of it. the time it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, don't don't get yeah. people who are going to say nasty things about you. Right, and sometimes they do. Right, yeah. understood. I want to just go back for a second to something I th- it seems really important to me. So you said that there's a stipend. In foster adoption. Right, so is that, in foster adoption, is that during the foster period? Is it from, Is how long does that last? In California, which is the only experience I have, there is something during the foster period that yeah. they give you. Because remember, some people foster as a business, which right. is fine. And right. so there, you know, there is money that they're paid. It's all supposed to go to the child. Um, but so that's what that is, is to encourage people to be foster parents to help provide for the necessities. Sure. Um, and so you get, you know, a, a relatively small amount during Can, foster. Do you mind if I ask, what are we talking about here? I don't remember exactly. It kind of varies. I think it depends on the age of the child, depends on whether they have special needs. So they qualify for right. a different rate. Uh, but you know, for the basic rate, I think in California or LA County, at least it's somewhere between like 700 and 900 a month. A month. Yeah. Okay. And then there's also, um, you get Medi-Cal for each child. Ah. So in terms of medical services, you, you do have, um, you do have the insurance that because you can't put your child into your own insurance. Because it's not your Oh, somewhere. right. And so now that's during the foster period. Right. And then after, and, and so once the child is legally yours, assuming that you're going mm-hmm. through the entire adoption process, that shuts completely at that moment? No, or? then, then uh, uh, there's the post-adoption assistance program where the amount uh, is lowered, right. maybe by 500, 600 for the basic rate. Right. Uh, I think it can go all the way up to the age of 20. Well, so that, that actually, in Los Angeles, right? Yeah. I'm sure yeah. it varies all over the place, but that's actually a pretty important consideration for Absolutely. a lot of parents yeah. um, and you get to and you get to uh, retain the the medical as well oh um, you can at that point also put them under your insurance right um, if, if you, you want it. to if you have it correct. <laughs> yeah. but um, but you have that option as oh, well very interesting okay. in One, most other states that the the pay, the amount is much lower I'm assuming that uh, cost of living has something correct. to do with that as Absolutely. well but I the amount's a bit lower, but um, the same thing happens as far as after adoption, depending on the different needs of the children. There's still a, a basic rate and all of that stuff that goes on, and it goes till 18, and you can usually increase it if the needs are high enough until 21. I want to touch uh, one subject before we end, and it's about failed adoption. Nitar, you probably uh, ran into some uh, cases like this in your work. How do you deal with failed adoptions? There's a lot of different ways that families uh, go about this. You know, if an adoption uh, doesn't work out, if the adoption fails, if the placement um, doesn't work out for whatever reason on either side, 
Um, I often, I tell couples to, to take that break. It is a grieving process. Like we were talking about before with Ethan, like once the baby is placed with you, once the child's placed in your home, there's an instant bond. And regardless of what's going on or who made that decision, you need to take that process to grieve the loss and be able to kind of come out of that. That's why we always encourage um, finding a support group before you even adopt so that you're going through it with other people. You can talk to others that have been through it um, and have that support, but grieving that loss um, so that you can kind of move on. And then sometimes people decide that they're no longer going to try, that they're done. And um, some continue on and, and then adopt later. Yeah. And, and sort of tagging on with that, it's not only the, the grief and loss after there is a, a reunification or, or a failed adoption. But pretty much as Ethan was saying, from the very beginning, from the moment they say, oh, the judge changed their mind, we're going to give six months of reunification. At that point, you already enter that grief mode because you're already having these these fantasies that you had when you first started are now starting to be challenged. And your grieving process starts then. Yeah. Right? So to be very aware of that, to have a social worker that you feel comfortable with, that you can talk about what those feelings are, to have a partner, if, if, if it's the case, have a therapist that can talk you through it. But the grieving process doesn't just happen after the child goes back. It happens from the very moment you get that bit of bad news, you know, at some point along the and, way. Yeah. And with private adoption, it's frustrating when you don't match and you think you're going to, there was a few where we were down to one of two families, but you've never made a connection with the child. Mm -hmm. With foster adoption, I can, I can't even describe how difficult and how hard the process is and, and what the lows are like, because it, it's literally the worst feelings that it's impossible to put into words. And we adopted our child and yeah. I know how hard it was. I can't comprehend what it would have been like if he were unified. And I think that's the most important thing in terms of the research, because the agency will never tell you that. All that we heard from was people who had succeeded and that it was great. And you should just really know how hard it is and just be in for that because that will help you. And luckily this agency had great social workers and sometimes you just need people to tell you, even if they're not being truthful, I think that's kind of what makes a social worker really great to say it's gonna work out and somehow they believe it and it helps you. And you need to hear from people that support you. They, they're realistic, but they support you. And because it, it is, and I'd be happy to talk to anybody more about it outside of the podcast, it's inconceivable. I mean, you literally, every minute of the day, you see someone else with a child and in your mind, you're saying you have no idea how good you have it because right. you, that's your child Yeah, and my child, maybe, you know, not mine in two more months. Let me use that to switch to, I don't know if it's our last question. Our last question? Is it our last question? Is our last question? So I believe all of you are adoptive parents, yes. right? Yes. Yes. So uh, I guess the question I have, we're IVF parents. Mm -hmm. um, this is a world where there are so many kids who, as you, as you mentioned, just in LA County alone, who are waiting for adoption. When you went into the process, let's leave money aside for a minute. When you went into the process, what were your thoughts about the balance of biological kids versus adoption? What made you choose the path that you took? And, uh, and how do you feel when you look at parents, uh, whether they're you know, straight parents who just had biological kids or, or uh, IVF parents like ours? Let's start. It's, it's a very personal journey for each one. I know for, in, in terms of for me and my husband, 
you know, I have seven siblings that with have given offspring already, um, and my husband didn't have any need to sort of continue his lineage either. So for us, right. it, and I worked in child welfare, so I had that personal connection. But um, but it's definitely one of the things that anybody should should consider before uh, before starting the process, which is go speak to somebody at a, at a surrogacy agency just to see what it's about, even if it's out of your your realm, right, of, of finances. Because it does give you that sense of, of the research and getting all the information you can. And sometimes, there, you know, people have opinions about foster care and uh, um, people who can afford IVF. And so it, it, I would say put all that noise aside, really turn into you and your partner, or if you're single, just to, to somebody that you, you trust and, and really ask the question, why do I want to be a parent, right? And of these options that are in front of me, which speak most to my 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 hopes, my dreams, my desires, and what am I capable of doing? And be honest with yourself, and and that and that takes some time to figure out. Yeah, uh, for us, I mean, in the beginning, finances was important. Um, you know, there's the IVF route is just so much more expensive, um, and we really did believe in the foster adoption concept and being able to help give a child a life that they otherwise wouldn't be able to have. But I will tell you, in response to your question of how do you look at other parents, I don't remember literally mm -hmm. that our kids are adopted. And <laughs> immediately there are, there are children and really, I'd have to remind myself that they're adopted and not biological. And I, I think everybody should be parents. To me, it's the most amazing thing in the world. And no matter how you have your child, that child may be the one that makes this world a better place. So I don't think it matters how they come to be. And again, we don't think of our kids as adopted and I've got, unless I literally remind myself, they're no different than anybody else. And I think we're just parents. And I, and I assessed many families over the years, like over a hundred families that I had to study and, and approve. Oftentimes the couple wasn't in agreement, uh, right. whether it was one, one of them would say, I just don't know that I could love a child that is not biologically mine as much as I could. Um, one that is, right. and, and, for some people, that is a reality, and you have to sort of take it at face value, and, and, and they have to work through that. But you can't go in looking at foster care and adoption as, well, this is my last option because I can't afford, <laughs> right? It brings you in with an attitude of almost failure in a way, and it, it, it makes you look at yourself as, I'm, I'm, I'm not really getting the opportunity that everybody else is getting. So, Natara? Um, yeah, I think, I, I mean, I, I like all those things you said. I, I think that a big part of that is being honest, like you said, with yourself or your partner, like making sure that if it's important for one that you guys talk it out and figure figure out which, if it's important to have a biological child, I mean, uh, that that's something that you look further into because, you know, as with anything in a relationship, you don't want to start a family and, and be doing all of that and then come back later and be like, well, I didn't really want to do that. Um, it's not going to work out because there's a child involved. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, it's important. For us, it was, we had personal connection to um, foster and adoption. So we, uh, that's the route that we chose. And um, I think it's really important to look into all of the different um, options as well, um, not just different agencies, but actually going like, I don't know if Ethan said it or Ufe said it, but it's the going to the, um, you know, the clinics and, and learning because there's different, they have different meetings and you can go and actually listen to a support group or listen, uh, have an appointment at the clinic and get talked to just to see all of your different options so that you know 
what's right for you guys. And then also bring your family. And that's something I wanted to bring back from the, um, making sure you're ready and prepared for adoption or being a family in general. Um, make sure you have a supportive family and a network around you that is, um, kind of on your team. This is a big thing too, with single parents that, um, can help because if the family or, you know, extended family, as so many of our families have friends that are like family, um, if those people are on board with you, it's just, it's that much better. Right. Nitara Ofe and uh, Ethan, thank you guys thank so, you much. so much. This is really uh, such a different experience for us. And uh, I really feel like I've not only learned a lot, but gotten kind of emotionally into what you guys have experienced. I will say not so much that we're about to add another child to our family, because <laughs> no, uh, but it was wonderful. And thank you guys for thank coming. You. Thank you guys. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. So, um, yeah, what caught me was the reunification problem. It's, yeah. Uh, it makes the whole thing even tougher than it sounds. But I think Ethan said to us after the interview that the, the adoption uh, agency that he worked with didn't want him to come and tell his story because they were afraid that he will... Uh, Turn that, people away yeah, from, from adoption. From this, and yeah. I think that, you know what? Every route that you choose has risks it's anyway. True. I mean, with surrogacy, it's more of a money risk, but it's also emotional risk after yeah. you you have the, the embryos, you... You transfer them. What if they don't take? It's also an emotional toll. What if something happens in the middle of the pregnancy? That's also an emotional toll. There's always risks. It's in, true. In any kind of parenting uh, for obvious, gay dads. Obviously, what's special about adoption is that in that case, you might actually have this child in your home, even if it's for a very short time. And as Ethan said, you know, develop an attachment and then have the child taken away. That is, wow, I, I just can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah. That's a problem, especially if you have young kids at home. Right, that's right. I mean, it's not just about you, but potentially the, the sort of adoptive siblings. Yeah. Anyway, guys, if you want to know more, so just uh, log on to our website at daddysqr.com and um, you're going to find there all the information about our guests. And if you want to contact them personally, it's also possible. Daddy. We also want to remind you, before we go, uh, that our season finale, uh, Daddy Squared Movie Awards, it's otherwise three weeks away. known as the Gabies, it sounds like a disease, it's a problem, but whatever, the Gabies, um, and uh, we have posted on daddysqr.com slash awards an opportunity for you to nominate or vote for the best films of all times for different categories, and and then we will give the awards uh, in our season finale. Guys, thank you so much for being with us uh, in this and writing in. This is really amazing. We love every letter and every comment that we receive, even if it's a criticism. It's true. Have a great full week, you guys. And uh, we're going to see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.
becoming a dad. Surrogacy is an amazing way to grow your family. Circle Surrogacy has successfully made the dream of parenthood a reality for gay singles and couples from across the U.S. and around the world for over 20 years. The surrogacy process and surrogacy costs can be complex. Circle's experienced staff will partner with you on your path to parenthood. Circle Surrogacy was founded on the belief that everyone should have the opportunity to become a parent and they've helped bring almost 2,000 babies into this world. Circle Surrogacy makes parenthood possible for gay dads. Learn more at circlesurrogacy.com.